Let's stand up, and we're going to read not from Hebrews 11. We're going to read from Acts 9. Uh, and in this series, I just call this my privilege to be able to add this uh, story into the idea of Hebrews 11, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for uh, just these moments that we have with one another. And Lord, right now, we pray our hearts and minds are open. And may our hearts and minds be open to your spirit. And may your spirit speak to us, work in us, and form us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, there's just some stories that stick to you. There's just something about them. The characters involved in the plot of the story, they just stoke the imagination. It's a story you go to and you read over and over again. Each time that story finds a way to surprise you. Anybody in here have a story like that? I have a set of books written by J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. I have read them and read them and read them, and every time I read them, they still have a way of surprising me or, or saying, I forgot about that, or, or just, man, that Tolkien dude could really write, you know, those kind of things. It's, it's stories like that that just kind of have a way of clinging to you, holding on to you. I wish I could say that this series on faith emanated from Hebrews 11. It would make sense, since Hebrews 11 is called by many the Hall of Faith, as we have seen. But that's not where this idea came from for this series. It came from another story. It came from this story. It came from the story that we read today and is our text for today. It's the story of Ananias, an unassuming disciple from Damascus, just minding his business when he enters into the story of Paul's conversion. And I mean, Paul's conversion, we all know in Acts, is a big deal. I mean, it's a really big deal. It's an inflection point in kind of the story of God that's being played out in Acts. Paul is a hero of the faith, we would say, right? Like, he should be in this Hebrews 11 text, we would think. But Paul is not the hero right now, is he? Paul is not right now. Paul is a villain. 
In Acts 8, Paul's a villain. In Acts 9, Paul's a villain. Paul, who has overseen the death of Stephen, he has already planned the demise of the way of Jesus. And as we know in Acts 8, in the beginning of Acts 9, that he's been given the blessing from the chief priest to see his plan to fruition. And then there's this guy, Ananias, who becomes a big part of the story. And what we find out is no disciple is just a disciple of Jesus in any story. What Ananias will soon find out is what we have talked about throughout this series and what we talked about last week. That faith in Jesus is not a static thing. When you or I, or as we will see Ananias get caught up into the story of God, we are no longer just some unassuming disciple. You, I, and Ananias are a part of what God is up to, what God is doing in the world, and the Holy Spirit, as we see, does not skip a generation of disciples. It doesn't skip over a disciple for another disciple. And so here we have Ananias minding his business in Damascus. And he comes face to face with Jesus. And Ananias must make a choice as Jesus shows him a vision in verse 10. As Jesus shows him a vision of this kind of what's going to happen. Now, a little sidebar in the moment. Did you notice that little phrase that Ananias uses right here in verse 10? Jesus shows up in a vision. And that last part, how does, how does Ananias answer Jesus? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. We've read this phrase before in Scripture. We've read it in a couple places, but one most notably is here in Isaiah 6-8. Isaiah, who's, who's in the temple in Jerusalem. King Uzziah has just died. God shows up in all of God's glory in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah responds to God asking for someone to be available to him. And he says, here I am, Lord. And here's the thing about saying that to God. It means the commission is not going to be easy. Because the very next verse in Isaiah says this. And he said, God, go and say to my people, to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Who's glad they raised their hand for that one? Right? And here Ananias is the one who responds to the vision. Here I am, Lord. And if we're a reader of Scripture and we read this part, we know, Ananias, don't say that. Say something besides, here I am. Because what comes next is never easy. God calls, Ananias responds, and then he listens to the commission God gives him. And it's always the commission that will be the hardest part. It's the commission that can test faith. It's a commission that can test the line of just how far our faith actually goes. 
reading our text, we know what the calling on Ananias' life will entail. We see it in verses 11 and 12. Go see this guy named Saul. He's on Straight Street right now. He's had a vision, you're coming. And that's when the record player kind of skids across the record, right? Saul, you mean, really? This guy? Ananias just basically says in verse 13, I've heard about this guy named Saul. I've heard this guy. And, and I've heard about him, and Lord, he ain't great. And here in this moment, in this vision and calling from Jesus, will Ananias' faith be challenged? I mean, what he knows about Saul, Paul, or Saul, whatever, is, is true. Sorry, I wish they didn't do that to us in Scripture. Just give us one name and let us run with it. Uh, but no, we can't do that. Uh, but this is all true. Saul is exactly the villain Ananias believes him to be. News travels fast in those parts, and Ananias knows why Saul is traveling the Damascus Road. And it's not to make friends and influence people. It's not. And if Ananias sees Paul, if Ananias were to see Paul on the street, let's say he didn't get the vision, and he sees Saul on the streets of Damascus, he is heading on the other side of the street. And he's not making eye contact. He's looking down. And I think that's the beauty of this moment between Jesus and Ananias. Ananias shoots it straight with the Lord in the conversation. I've heard of this guy. He's not good. You sure about this, Lord? There are so many other disciples. Come on. I mean, we, we can pick anybody. Maybe not this guy. And this, this moment right here between Je Jesus and Ananias, Ananias, this is where Ananias' faith horizon, like how far he can see, how far his faith will go, will now intersect with God's horizon. Ananias can only see what he can see when he hears the name of Saul. He can only see what he knows through stories and rumors about the individual. And he's not wrong. I think we know, and when we read this story, that God views life and others differently. I think we know that, right? I think we, we have that in our mind. That God is God and we are not, right? How many times have you heard someone say that? How many times have you said that? God is God and we are not. And I think we can agree to this. And I have heard many say this before in discussions. And I believe that by saying this, we are, in a way, making a faith statement about God. God's eyes are different than our eyes. Got it. Okay. Cool. Again. Our faith doesn't stop with just making a statement about God. It's great to say that. You know, God is God and we are not. And God sees differently than us. But here's the thing about the story in Ananias. And you can imagine Ananias maybe saying that. But God doesn't say, cool, I'm so glad that you believe that I'm different than you. Now, go and do whatever you want in your life. God doesn't have a tendency of saying that. God doesn't say like, oh, I'm so glad that you can say that with words. So, you know, just, just go have fun. Faith doesn't end at the period in which you make that statement. Faith doesn't end at that period. God is God and we are not, period. God says, great, now I'm going to see you live it out. It's as if we can feel good about ourselves because at least we think we know everything about God. At least we can say the good things about God. Or, or even we can think, 
you know what? Someone else will see others that way. We always like the stories of, you know, when other people do other things for those kind of people. And then we can say, oh, isn't God great? Just don't mess with me. It's a, it's a kind of faith for someone else, just not me. Ananias, the unassuming disciple, minding his own business in Damascus. Hearing about the stories of what Saul's doing, probably hearing about the stories of what's happened from everything we know from Acts 1 to Acts 8. Cool. It's for somebody else. But here I am in Damascus just doing my thing. I'm well known by the Jews. People like me. Let's just keep it there. But that's the thing about faith. Faith is this active and alive presence through the power of the Holy Spirit that challenges us to see with God. Faith sees beyond the stories and the rumors of a person. Faith sees beyond the present moment and challenges us to see a future that God sees for them. And that God sees in them. Even though all the stories we know of somebody, even though all the rumors we've heard, would speak to the contrary of that. Willie Jennings says this, and I like what he says it, and he puts it this way. He says, the truth we know of a person or people must move to the background, and what we know of God's desire for them must move to the foreground. The danger we imagine inscribed on their bodies must be read against the delight we know God takes in their life. I like that last sentence. The danger we imagine inscribed on their bodies. Who in here can picture somebody who you would might see, you know, you wouldn't mind see, you know, a little demise upon. You know, they deserve to get it. Ah, but it's got to be read against the delight we know that God takes in every person's life. So can we Take the stories and the rumors of somebody and others that we know. That thing that that causes us to have all those preconceived notions. And what the writer says is, faith has a way of pushing that to the background. And instead, pushing to the foreground the simple truth that God is God, we are not. And that God does take delight in all of God's creation. The future God has for Saul, soon to be Paul, that we read in the text as we read in 15 and 16, as the Lord says, I get what you're saying, Ananias, but get this, I've got a future for him, is now impinging upon Ananias' view of Paul's future. It is not for someone else to enact. It's not for another person who's got greater faith. No, no, no. It's Ananias that must respond. And Ananias says, here I am, Lord, and it's this faithful response to God's call on our lives. It's a call and a response that we've all said to God at some point, here I am, Lord. When you go into the waters of baptism, what are you saying? Here I am, Lord, use me. It is the faithful response to God's call on our lives. It is the faithful response to the Holy Spirit's work in our life, but it goes so much farther than just the response. It is now a faith enacted. 
It's cool when it happens, but now you got to make some. You got to do something with it. Ananias has to do something with it. And here's the thing: after Ananias says this saw guy, he's bad. Did you notice something about God's answer to Ananias? God doesn't push back against Ananias or try to rationalize what how God looks at Saul's future. Not at all. Instead, in this verse, in verse 15, all the Lord says is this: Go. Yeah, God, but, but Saul's bad. Go. We've heard that too, have we not? We've heard that simple statement before in Scripture. Abraham, go. Faith is and will be moving forward into a future we cannot see. Abraham, go. Where? Into the future that you cannot see. Ananias, yeah, yeah, I hear about Saul. Go. What? Go. Into the future of Saul that you cannot see. If God doesn't give up on someone like Saul, get this, then maybe our faith needs to be a bit more like, yeah, even that person. If God can look at Saul and say, I ain't done with him he's got a future, then maybe our faith should be more when we see others of saying, I'm not so sure God's done with him yet. I'm not sure God's done with her yet. So maybe I'm not allowed to be either. Can Ananias, and here's the kicker, trust that God's future is a good future for Saul? Can Ananias trust that there's a good future from Saul, for Saul, from God? Can Ananias' faith go beyond his horizon to meet God's horizon? In the end, this this story is a big story of faith. Ananias indeed must act in faith that God can heal, even that God can transform an enemy into a brother. There's that part in verse 17 in which Ananias does go, and he runs into, he comes into Saul. And I don't have it up here, but what he says is this, brother Saul. How can someone go from, uh, Lord, bad, killing people, to walking into the house and saying, Brother Saul, go from enemy to brother in a blink of an eye. It only takes, if we can have faith enough to trust, that God can transform and heal anybody's life. That God does not give up on anybody. Whether you give up on him or not, God does not. A faith not closed off because of our preconceived notions, because that kind of faith is more a faith in ourselves, but a faith open to a wonder of God's continued work and mission in the world. It's a faith in a faith community that knows who may be the recipients that, uh, I'm sorry, it's a faith in a faith community that knows not who may be the recipients of the inscrutable choices of God. God is God. We are not. It reminds me of a story I heard about a student who ran into a teacher on campus. She was in tears as she told the professor about running into a friend. She said that she was walking and her friend was sitting on the bench reading something. And, and, you know, you do what you do. You say, how are you? So she says, how are you to your friend? Her friend friend said something to her, but she was in such a hurry then trying to get to the vending machine for a drink that when she got to the vending machine, got her drink, came back to her friend, 
she came back out and asked this, well, what have you got planned for the weekend? What she did not hear is that her friend had told her that she was reading a letter from her mother. Her mother was just diagnosed with a malignancy, and she would have to go home to help her. The student, when telling the story to the professor, was in tears, and she remarked, I didn't hear her. I just went on and got my drink and came back. I did not hear her say a thing. The story of Ananias calls us to be open to every moment in everyone's life because that is what faith is. It's being open to every conversation and every interaction. There is no unassuming moment and there is no unassuming disciple. Faith pulls us into the game no matter what. It reminds me of another story about a woman named Barbara Jenkins. Uh, and this man was saying, talking about this woman named Barbara Jenkins and how when she walked in a room, the room just changed. Everything about it just changed. And he ran into Barbara Jenkins one day at a reception. And he describes it this way. It was kind of one of those receptions that had a punch bowl and some salted peanuts and, uh, you know, a couple of different kinds of sandwiches. Nothing really that would fill you up until she came in. And when Barbara Jenkins came in, he says, everything just kind of changed. People would say, that's Barbara Jenkins. And he would say, who is Barbara Jenkins? Barbara Jenkins was someone who spent her time writing letters, making calls, going and seeing folks to make a difference in the way that the law treats juvenile offenders. Night and day, seven days a week, she would write to the authorities. She would... She would go and visit these juvenile offenders in jail. So this man walks up to Barbara Jenkins and says, you enjoy doing that work? Barbara looks at him and goes, not really. You get paid? Are you on salary? No, I don't get paid. No, I'm not on salary. You have a child troubled in the law, right? Someone who is in prison right now? No, none of that then why in the world would you do this? It's no fun. You're not making any money. And none of your friends are doing it. And Barbara responds, I have to. Faith says in the end, here I am, Lord. And away we go. If you have any needs this morning, come now. As we stand, as we sing.